Are you ready to live your best life, be stronger, and fall in love with yourself? It's possible, and it's inside you, but you need to unlock the power within. Welcome to Fearlessly Authentic with Jody Harrison Bauer. Jody used to be afraid to take risks. It took some stepping out of her comfort zone to get her there. Along with her guests and their stories, Jody will help you to live your best life ever. Now, here's your host, Jody Harrison Bauer. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Fearlessly Authentic. I'm your host, Jody Harrison Bauer, and it is always such a joy to have you listening to the show every single week. 100 countries listen to this show. It is crazy, and I love hearing from you. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe. We have a five-star rating, and it's because of you all writing and listening and sharing it. So any place you listen to podcasts, any streaming podcast platform, I would really appreciate it. And you could also see me and my guests on YouTube. So same name, Jody Harrison Bauer, subscribe, and then you could check us out and see what we look like, not just listen to our voices. And something else that I've been, um, well, if you're new to the show, uh, let me just tell you what it's about. It's called Fearlessly Authentic. And I named it that because I was always afraid of taking risks. And now I am much, much better at taking risks and always thriving to striving to be as authentic as I possibly can. But sometimes we get scared to do that. So what I like to do every single week, either with myself or with my guests, is to educate you, empower you with this knowledge that you're going to learn from my guests this week, entertain you a little bit. I'm sure this man is going to entertain you and then inspire you uh, to go and take this knowledge and help other people. So I have one last thing, and then we're going to get into the show. Um, I've talked to you all for probably the past year and a half since I turned 60. So I'm now 61 and almost a half. Um, and I started going plant-based um, after I turned 60 with Sakara. So they have plant-based meals that are delivered to your home, but they also have lots of other products like metabolism powder and so on. They have an energy bar and they have a detox bar. They have lots of wonderful products to make you feel better. So if you'd like to try it, I promise you it will make a difference in your life. Use my code XOJODI, J-O-D-I, and go to sakara.com. That's S-A-K-A-R-A.com, XOJODI, and save 20% on your first order. And on with the show. Here we go. My guest today. Hi, Jake. How are you? Good, Jody. How you doing? I'm so glad to have you here. Jake. Pleasure. Pleasure. Project. There we go. Yeah, you got it, you got it girl. I said it right. I said it right. Um, I'm going to read your a little bit about you so my listeners know who we are talking to today. And I just can't wait to get right into it. Um, see, as soon as I put on my glasses, you're like, okay, definitely. <laughs> She's so Jake has just come out, come out with a new book. It's been released already, right? Yeah. It okay. came out about a month ago. Okay. All right. It was released about a month ago. So best-selling author and damaged good podcast host and musician Jake Project is set to release. He's already released it, his newest book, a hilarious collection of essays titled The Waiting Room, which is his follow-up to his first book, Quicksand. Um, both books are autobiographical and grounded in the backstory of heartache, ego, which we talked about the other day, and now in the waiting room, the painless, painful loss of his father. Um, Jake writes with the approach of an Irish funeral, 
I have to ask you about that being Jewish. I don't really understand what that means because we yeah. Jewish people are very serious about everything. Yeah. Laughing through the rough parts with celebration and comfortable in his vulnerability, his dark comedic elements blend with his unique perspective and rare life experiences to create vivid tales of gallivanting shame, debauchery that are at times strikingly relatable and at others humorously outlandish. And I, I got that feeling from you yesterday when we were speaking um, to get ready for the show today that you had a lot of stories. So tell me a little bit about first, like growing up. I know you have an interesting um, childhood. You grew up partially in Massachusetts and in Nevis, right? So tell yeah, us about yeah. that. Nevis first. Well, really first for about a few months on this island called Montserrat, which is a small island in the West Indies. My father owned a, um, a nightclub bar that had like live music, some food. And there was a very big uh, recording studio on that island at the time. So lots of famous musicians from America, from England were going down there recording. They'd play at the club. It was a wild time. This is the 70s going into the early 80s. So lots of nefarious activity and what have you may have been lurking. Yeah. And when I was really young, uh, we moved from, we had to move from Montserrat to Nevis, which is also Nevis and St. Kitts are sister islands in the Caribbean, not far away from Montserrat. So I really grew up in Nevis. I was so young in Montserrat. And then about five years old, we moved to Massachusetts for like good. That's both of my parents are from um, Springfield and Boston respectively. And uh, we'd go back and forth to the West Indies for long periods of time. I'd even go back to school there, but we were in Massachusetts bouncing around. Um, and that would be my my younger days. Yeah. So Nevis was just about five years of that upbringing, and it solid, sure. but a lot of time going back though. I mean, even up until I was fifteen, going back solidly. You know, it's so beautiful there. I'm surprised you went. That blew me away when I heard that you went there because it's yeah, not, a long yeah, a long long time ago. I think I went there. You know, when I was married to my ex-husband, like for our 10 year anniversary or something, something like that. I don't really remember, but it was a long time ago. It was after a bad hurricane, but it was beautiful. Yeah. The people were amazing. The beaches were gorgeous. The food was delicious. So, you know, I, I can't even imagine living in that paradise. So as a youngster growing mm -hmm. up, you, you were a huge skateboarder, musician. Yeah. Tell us about, you know, how the skateboarding, a lot of, a lot of people your age, um, we're really into skateboarding. Yeah, I mean, they my, my knees are, are a testament to that. <laughs> I, you know, I grew up in, in, in Boston and Massachusetts in general. A lot of the men in my family, real old school, you know, like hardworking men, you know, whether yeah. whatever side of the tracks they were on. And so sports is big. And I played sports as a kid, but I was always like, um, I was like, I spent a lot of time alone. You know, I didn't have any immediate siblings. Mm -hmm. I had stepsisters and shit, but I was alone a lot. And I had a big imagination. I was really into painting and drawing and art. And I hated, uh, I, I definitely got this from my father. I struggled with authority. So that didn't just mean like mm. teachers and parents, but coaches. And you got to be on a sports team with a bunch of kids that I'm really friends with. We all, we have to be together because we're on this team and the coach is telling me what to do. And I just fucking. You hated it. Hated it. And I wanted to, to be in this stuff that whatever I was going to be into was going to be something where, you know, limited amount of authority, even art classes in school, you know, I still had a teacher, but whatever, but I got into skateboarding from my cousin when I was 10 and it just sucked me in for so many reasons. One is you couldn't learn it in school. There was no authority. Nobody like, like my older people in my family didn't like it. 
Um, it was something I would do alone. And I was out in the street skateboarding and it taught me a lot about myself, a lot of self-confidence, how to rely on myself and made really quality friends, kids I had more in common with than just that we lived on the same street or we went to the same school or on the same little league team. So yeah, that was my shit for about 10 years. You know, skateboarding was like everything. Right. Because you could do it by yourself. I mean, it's just fun. You can challenge yourself. You can be as fearless as possible and and nobody's ever around there telling you not to do it because you're just out with your buddies and you're doing it and nobody's telling you no you can't do this so some of them some security guards and police officers <laughs> might argue but, but that was another element i liked uh, i don't know why i have this streak in me well i do know why it's, it's my parents and their dna i come mm. i kind of like I, I'm attracted to el- things that have an element of, uh, of danger, but also that maybe it's, you know, maybe it's not allowed, you know? So right. skateboarding in the street, you know, the skate parks and now everywhere I look, especially in California, there's a skate park, but growing up where I did at the time, right. there wasn't. So we skated in the city or in the suburbs or in anywhere. We'd go to a college and skate there and, you know, security and cops and you got like jocks chasing you and homeless people and crackheads. And there was a lot of people to interact with. Uh, so we would stick very tightly together, which I love. And, uh, you know, you were out there, maybe you were being a little bad at times, a little juvenile delinquent, you know, and then as you got older, that might graduate into other things. But I definitely would be lying if I said that element of skateboarding isn't something I really loved as well. You know, it's so interesting um, because I have two daughters. They're 29 and 33. They never skateboarded. I, I was never... I have two sisters. I was never involved in that whole skateboard thing, but I find it interesting that it was such a passion, you know, and I, I feel like just hearing you talk is that, you know, besides not loving authority figures, I'm, I'm sort of the same way, but I didn't rebel well, until I didn't rebel until I was in my forties. Okay. Again, that's, that's why fearlessly authentic, but I feel like I know I've realized that I'm a restless soul. Do you feel like you're restless? You're always looking for the next challenge. Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes I feel like the challenges keep looking for me, even when I want yeah. to, when I do feel like I'm not restless, a challenge will come my way that I really wasn't looking forward to. I wanted to chill. I got finally relaxed. So, you know, my mind never really settles. I'm always thinking about something, whether it's being hypercritical of the, the creative stuff I'm doing or objectives like you know kind of simple and maybe boring objectives i have to do in life like getting a car fixed or something (laughs) but like i'm I'm always thinking about it it's hard for my brain to quiet down which has its pluses and minuses but yeah i am always restless i need i like to travel a lot you know i get to travel for work sometimes so i'm always needing to bounce around i like switching my environment up i need things to kind of excite me you know Right. Yeah. I'm, I'm totally, somebody said to me, Jody, you're always, um, you're that person who's always looking for the shiny, what is Mm -hmm. it? The shiny thing. And I'm like, not really, because I stick to one thing. I don't go from thing to thing. I don't have ADD, but it's just, yeah, it's always that I'm looking for something to either make myself better or just make myself smarter or just, you know, challenge myself to, to like, have like the best life ever. I know that sounds so corny, but just like, Huh. Only here for a short period of time. I want to blow it up. Yeah, no, I I agree hundred percent. I think you know, there's some people who are more content with with um, I won't say like monotonous lifestyle, but something yeah. that's a little more predictable, a little more stable is a word yes. that use, some people use positively. You and I and other people maybe more of the like. I like to learn new shit. Even as you get older, I feel like people don't want to learn new things in their thirties and their forties, and as they get older, because it's a challenge to your ego and all that. I like. 
I taught myself to play guitar when I was 30, you know, wow. uh, when I, you know, like I, I, I mean, I've been surfing for about seven, eight years and that's something I learned in my early thirties, but I, you know, I had skateboard skills, but I just like to challenge myself, do new shit. Um, but only cause I want to, it's not like, I'm just going to go learn how to do something, ride a bike like backwards or a unicycle. I don't right. care much about unicycles, you know? Right. So, right. It's stuff you want to do. So you got into music. So you are creative. Clearly yeah. you're a very creative person. So skateboarding was one way for you to express yourself. And then you were, you liked art. So you yeah. were creating art um, and then, and then music. So take me down that road with the art and the music. Cause this yeah, is, I mean, I think the art was probably my, uh, as an artist, like granted what I do now, I'm a writer and I do broadcasting, but, uh, it's just, that's my canvas right now. I learned that I was always an artist and I would find different ways to express myself. Um, and visual art was my first, my grandparents, my mother's parents uh, were both like painters. And so I got into painting and drawing and pastels and charcoals and I messed around with pottery. I have an aunt that's a great potter. I, I love that. And then that was a way of expressing myself. Skateboarding, I don't look at like a sport. Surfing, it wasn't a sport. It's, it's for, to me, it's expression and art. I agree, I agree. And I love music. I like, you know, my mother would drop me off with like these break dance, these b-boy classes when I was a kid. And I loved that, but I not, that wasn't naturally in my cards. You know what I'm saying? So right. I, I was always into music. I played a little guitar when I was young. I mean, I was, I grew up around music. My parents did. My father used to manage reggae artists. Oh yeah, that's what you're uh, saying. A lot, of, a lot of music in the house. And I was always into hip hop, you know, like the break dancing element and, and writing graffiti when I was really young. And then I got into like, you know, messing around MCing and playing with turntables and DJing and then, you know, just got so into music. And that was another way of expressing myself because it was writing. Right. So were you, so did you play an instrument or you were more of a DJ? Music just felt, I don't know, natural, the natural progression. Right. Right. Yeah. Music. Um, can you sing? Yeah, not well. I could sing. My range is very limited singing i should say my range is very limited but i can write very well for people so in my band or i'd write for other people but like oh yeah my vocal range was limited but i knew not to step out of that realm because i don't know like i was playing to my strengths but you know i could make it work for the kind of music i was making and then i'd write i did songwriting for other people i had a little publishing deal for a while so write for people maybe outside of the genres i did or well beyond my skill set but i but i some people who sing incredibly well can't write worth a shit so you know there's a, there's a place to play right there. Right, right. I, I mean, everything that you're talking about, I can't do. I, you know, I, I can't do, I can't, yeah. And you know, you know, I have you know. a very good friend who every time I sing, she's like, Jody, please don't sing. And then every once in a while, I'll hear my voice. I'm like, you know what? It's not that bad. But you know what? It's such a joyful thing. And I, I think in my next life, I'd love to come back as a singer, not like, you know, um, in a rock band, like that's, and anybody who knows me would be like, okay, that doesn't surprise me at all. Yeah, but, I like your voice. I think it's kind of got this slightly raspy element to it in a, in a completely complimentary manner. I like that. I think you're good. Like I could tell why people would listen to your show because you would want to listen to somebody with a bad voice for an hour and not at all. So you clearly have a good voice if you can do a show for an hour and you got listeners and fans. Thank you. I appreciate that. So after you pursued being in a band, DJ, hip hop, all of that, but you were writing and yeah. that's where I want to get to. So you are clearly a very good writer. You've written books, 
poetry. So in the books, explain to your first book, Quicksand, and then we'll get on to your newest one. My first book. So I was, I mean, when I was younger, I would write uh, college papers for kids, you know, uh, I would always be able to write people's shit, my own shit. It was just kidding. Yeah. Nah, like it's my family. My grandmother was a public school English history teacher, Mm. pretty good writers. You got to excuse me. I think my neighbor's dog or baby is having a rough time. The windows are shut. If you hear wailing and screaming, just know I would never treat my animals in such a way. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe they just fed it some bad food. I don't hear. I don't hear anything. Good. So just pretend nobody heard what I said. Um, uh, But I, uh, I, I was, you know, I was still kind of like, on my outs with the music industry and emotional level. And I was going through a crazy time in my life, a little like love breakup triangle. I was in a dark place mentally for some other reasons. And I was writing these little poems and short stories as purely like a therapeutic manner to save myself, to save my fucking life at the time. It was just something that helped like writing music would it be a good way to process it. But this was even quicker. I didn't have to have a melody in my head. I didn't have to have an intention for a song because I was taking music so seriously. This was just purely therapeutic. And then as time was going on, I started noticing I had like some underlying theme to a lot of the short stories and stuff, which would be this heartache, love triangle, trying to get back with this woman I loved thing. And all these short stories and poems would become my first book, Quicksand. And once I noticed I had something kind of connecting all these pieces, I said, all right, dude, why don't you fucking write a book, Snake Man? You've been writing all this other shit your whole life. And then I started, you know, filling it in with more chapters that really tied it together, where, where the story came, to, came together as one. And um, then I got that book published. And, it, it, you know, I got great response from it. And it felt more natural than any of the other artistic endeavors I think I've ever done. It came easier to me than anything, than skateboarding, than music, than anything. See, isn't that interesting? Is like the stuff that we think we should be doing, because I've got a few things in my head that I want to do, but I keep, I'm not doing it. But yet the things that I want to do, I'm like, yes, this feels good. Yes, this feels good. And then I'm like, oh yeah, somebody told me I was supposed to do that. And I'm like, eh, I don't want to. Right? But that... That's the way to go, I think. With art, I, I think I learned that a little later in life, too, is going, I don't really go with the flow with a lot of things, but my artistic drive, I go with the flow, and I really don't like now to go against it. I don't like to sacrifice my artistic integrity and do anything that my heart's not into, because then the product is shitty. I mean, I do some freelance writing work because it's a check, but it's not very inspirational to me. You know, I'm not, like, really hyped up to do it. But um, yeah, following your gut and your heart. People say, get a motorcycle. You would love motorcycles. I have zero. I have negative inclination to get a fucking motorcycle. Right. I'm going to do things I want to do. And then they get done better. And I feel better. I'm more gratified, you know? So tell me about, so you, you, you told me that the quicksand was mostly started because you had, you yeah. were had a was, really tough breakup. You were in a bad place. Yeah, and I, to- I had some other shit going on. I mean, I got like suicidal. Yeah. I, I was doing sorry. things. No, I'm sorry. I'm, it's all right. I mean, I talk about it in the books. I'm all yeah. good now. Well, all good as in one could it be, but you know. Right, right. How good is good? No. I was going through this breakup, this triangle breakup, and I was having all these things coming to my conscious that had never been in my conscious before. Things I had done to people that I really were, were bad things. And I, for the first time, felt really bad. Like, fuck, dude, you've been living a really, like, a, a good life and you're kind and you've done so many nice things for some people, but you've hurt some people deliberately uh, for your own benefit. And all that shit really was coming together. It hit me so fucking hard. And that's where I was, my brain was spinning. I was going nuts. So the writing was to save me from going completely mad, you know? 
I love that. I think, you know, so many people, I go back to when you're talking about all this, like when we talk about journaling. So me, um, you know, I've been in the fitness industry for 33 years and been training people for that long, been working out for 40 years. And the thing that always works is when I first have a client who has a goal, I tell them to write these things down, you know, write about what, what you ate, how you feel, anything, right? Just so I know what you're thinking, because I know that what the hardest thing for us to do is to face our feelings, right? Face it. But when you write it down, it's like verbal vomit on, on a piece of paper. And then you start feeling better about what's going on in your life. It's, it's a process. And it's so hard at first to write the first few words. And I was wondering if you felt that process was first so emotional and so hard, like that takes a lot of courage to start writing that shit down. I mean, it wasn't hard to start it. Like it was flowing like a fresh cut. Like I couldn't really, wow. It didn't make it easy though. It was, it was still hurtful. And the hardest part about any of the writing I do in my books is all personal shit is, is the editing. Cause now I'm rereading my chapters 10, 12 times over. And like, fuck, man, there's times where I would like, that sounds kind of silly, but like shed a tear on the computer or something. Like I I had to close the shit. Like I can't edit. I can't reread this one right now too many times. And I'd have the stories in my head. And I was like, man, when I have to put this one down on paper, it's going to be a task. But I I could do the writing easy. It was just, you know, it was like you said, it was draining. It was exhausting. It's it's hard, you know? Yeah. I, you know, I think so many people want to write about things that happened in their life, myself included. Um, and I've never, I've been told by a very close mentor of mine. She's been in my life for like 15 years, write a book, Jody, write a book, write a book. And I just, I've written, there are pieces of paper all over my house. Never, never. Cause I start writing. I'm like, that was the question I wanted to ask you. Like you wrote, did you think it was going to become a book? Did you start writing because you thought it was going to become a book or did you write for your own self? Yeah. Yeah, initially it was just for my for myself to quell the crazy thoughts in my head, to kind of look at it on paper and make sense of it, you know, mm-hmm. like you're saying, it helps you process it. But when I did have this like moment of acknowledgement where, okay, I'm going to make a book out of this, all oh, this is tying together. Then I started approaching it with a little different eye because I, I had a, a plan, I had a goal, an intention, whatever you want to call it. And so I started cleaning it up, and not like censoring it, but, you know, cutting the fat off. My writing, yeah. I, I try to pride myself on not dancing around with, and I mean, I, I have you know good vocabulary, but not dancing around with so many words. Like I want it to be poetic and cut right through. Um, and there's some writers that really do that well. There's a lot that I find don't. And I think that's what deters kids, my generation from wanting to read. You yeah. can say it beautifully, but if you got to jumble it up with all these fancy words, you can have a couple fancy words. You don't need to have seven of the same adjectives. I have no patience for all the fancy words. Yeah, exactly. I, I can't like, can you just cut to the point here? Yeah. And it gets in the way of good storytelling. It does. A family of storytellers. I mean, my uncle is my father, my mother, my aunts. And so a good story, you don't, you know, you cut it all. Like I said, you cut all the fat off. You want to grab people right away. So every sentence, uh, my first and last sentence to me of every chapter of the most important, I mean, it's all got to be good, but the first sentence has got to grab you by the fucking neck. It's got to make you want to read. And I really, really made sure that was like a big goal. Everything I was writing was the first sentence of every paragraph, but the first sentence of every chapter was going to grab you while you in. I wanted you to feel like you was buckling up for some kind of ride. You don't know where the ride's going to go, but you're going to go. And that's that was very important to me. That's the kind of writing I like. So that's the kind of writing I do. 
Is the book, I know you said it's different stories. I'm sorry that I haven't read it yet. I can't, as soon as we get finished with this, I'm buying it. No, 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 I, I need to buy it because I like love everything that you're talking about. So are they different little stories or are they poetry? Explain to me exactly so, what I would um, get. If- it's short stories. Mm-hmm. It's not linear. It's like if you watch a movie where they kind of cut back in time and they yep. flash to the future, but it's all connected. It has like a backstory, you know, an underlying theme. It's not just random. It might seem like that for the first two, but then when you get to the third, the fourth, then you start to see how it connects. Right. And I like movies that play with time like that. So I wanted to do that with the book. I didn't want it to just have that same kind of classic Hollywood arc. I wanted so you could pick it up anytime and read any chapter. You want to I just love that. Them, you know, I do too. And that's I think what the I mean, I want anyone to read my books, but I think the majority of my my readers are of my generation and maybe even a little younger and maybe not, to be honest, big readers. They don't read a lot. So I wanted them to grab it and want to read more and not feel like, oh, this is a fucking huge, thick book in high school, you know, be sorry. Right, right. right. I I, I didn't like reading when I was little. I hated reading. I never read summer reading for school. I didn't learn to like to read until I was a senior in high school. And I read a couple books that I was like, wow, there's actually shit out there that I'm interested in. I was always force fed all this crap and told, and maybe it's because I was told you have to read this. This is good. Fucking shoving it down your throat. Right. I read books. And I was like, wow, there's shit out there I'm interested in. And then I just fucking couldn't stop reading, you know? And that's the whole thing that you sound like my oldest daughter. She never wanted to read oh, cliff no. notes all through high school. And I don't think she started enjoying reading until she was like done with college or something like that. It, it just takes, just takes a while. Um, Quicksand, how did you come up with that name? I'm curious about that. I, I love the one name. Of, one of the chapters in the book um, kind of explains how I was, it was about seven in the morning. I'd been up all night, clearly, um, having like what I, I thought I did some drugs that had a drug in it that wasn't the drug I was intending to do. And I was freaking out in my fucking, I was living in a really shitty apartment in LA in a really rough neighborhood. Okay. It was hot as fuck. And it was the Super Bowl that day. I was going to go over to my other friend from Boston's apartment, him and his wife's place and watch the game. And I couldn't get to sleep. And I hadn't done drugs since about midnight. It's seven in the morning. I'm like, why am I fucking wired? My heart's freaking out. And I felt like I, I, I have anxiety and stuff and it can, can slip into depression. And I felt like I kept like, trying to like calm down, calm down, Jake. And the more I try to like relax, the more I felt like I was sinking into this quicksand. Like, you know, quicksand, they say you're not supposed to fight and you sink yeah, more. Yeah, yeah, And that's like, it hit me. And I'd already been writing the book. I was like three quarters done when I didn't know what I was going to call it. And then that hit me. And I was like, yo, this is not only a chapter, but this is the title of the book. Cause that's how I was feeling when I was writing. Wow. I love that. I love that. I love how, how hyped up and emotional you are. I hope you figured out what drug it was and not I mean, take I it anymore. It was cocaine, but there wasn't <laughs> cocaine in it. There was something else that was crazy and I was, did not feel right. So. Oh my God. All right. Yeah, do drugs kids. Yeah. Don't, would you just say don't do drugs? I, I said, be careful if you do. Oh, you okay. Do them. <laughs> I'm going to do them tread lightly. I was going to say, don't do drugs kids. Yeah, don't um, listen to her. Listen as to you're her. having a scotch, right? No, no, this is white, or this is rosé wine. No, no oh, rosé, okay. I, I haven't drank in like uh, since uh, Friday, last Friday. Oh, I thought you were going to tell me you haven't you haven't had a drink in like five years. Oh, no. <laughs> How All crazy right. would that be if I was on your show and I break five years ago? <laughs> I know. Wow, that's I a know. compliment to you, though. That's um, All right, well, we're going to be back. Um, we're going to take a quick break with Jake the Snake Frajak. Yeah. See, I yeah. said it right. Yeah, you got it. 
project. Okay. It's really not that hard to say. And we will be right back. Hang in there. We'll, We'll be back in like two minutes. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa. Play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. On Fearlessly Authentic, Jody talks about mental and physical well-being, and the key to both starts with proper nutrition. The Jody Fit Jumpstart Meal Plan was created to help your body feel better. Whether your goal is to lose weight, gain muscle, or just feel lighter and more energetic, Following this meal plan can help you get there. The Jody Fit Jumpstart Meal Plan is a 21-day plan to help you learn the most important things about the food we eat and what foods are right for you based on your goals and activity level. The Jody Fit Jumpstart Meal Plan is a real plan for real life. This is not a diet, but a change in lifestyle. The plan is simple and easy for you to follow. In the 21-day plan, you will receive meal ideas, snack ideas, a grocery list, and a 21-day journal crucial to your success with inspirational quotes to keep you motivated and keep track of your progress. The key to success is commitment, consistency, and willpower. Be fearless and trust the journey. Go to JodyFit.com to purchase the JodyFit meal plan now and use the promo code podcast to get 25% off. You need to live up to your full potential. You've heard that for years, but now there's a channel to help you get there. Introducing the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Our listeners have told us that they want to be motivated, hear about success stories, and positive encouragement around the clock. And we've responded to you. The Voice America Empowerment Channel is the home of the world's top life coaches, entrepreneurs, and success experts. Listen to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's here at voiceamericaempowerment.com. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are listening to Fearlessly Authentic with Jody Harrison Bauer. We'd love to hear from you with any questions or comments you may have. Send an email to info at jodyharrisonbauer.com. That's info at jodyharrisonbauer.com. Now, back to Fearlessly Authentic. Hello, everybody, and welcome back. I have Jake the Snake Project. I, I'm calling you that today, just Jake the Snake. Right. I know that's your name. And we're we're just having a great time here um, and talking about the books um, that he has written and his newest book called The Waiting Room. But before we get into that, hi, hi again, Jake. He's yeah. here. Hey, um, I want to talk about your podcast called Damaged Goods. Tell me a little bit about that show. And disclaimer, I'm not smoking cigarettes and I would not recommend anybody. This is actually cannabis that looks like a cigarette. So not that you should smoke that either, but Jake the Snake doesn't smoke cigarettes. And it's not scotch. It's it's rosé. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Drinking. Yes. yeah um, that's good. Yeah, you're, it's one o'clock out there, right? It is. It, well, yes. Something like that. Um, okay. My podcast, Games Goods, I started uh, 
five, Christ, man, five years ago wow. uh, before I started, before I had a radio show. And I did some broadcasting when I was in high school and in college, like on the college radio, high school radio. And I, I, I liked it, you know, uh, talking on the air. Yeah. Um, and then podcast though, uh, you know, as you know, you don't have the, the FM radio restrictions. I don't like authority. I don't like censorship. I don't like being restricted too much. So when I had a radio show, it was on Dash Radio, digital radio. And the podcast, I wanted to have conversations with people who worked in the arts, you know, musicians, writers, directors, actors, dancers, chefs, fucking hairdressers, anybody that was creative. Are you manage a musician? Are you, you know, whatever. Um, and it would be conversations, less interview-like, but more uh, a platform where through these, these conversations, these stories that would get told, somebody would learn about the art form that this person, my guest does, or me. And it would be funny, but there would be moments where we touch on heavier shit, things that might've been difficult in their creative process or this album they worked on or the movie they made, things that might've left them a little damaged or what have you. Or when I do solo episodes, you know, I'm, I'm just like my books, I'm pretty open, open book. I hate to use the word twice, but, <laughs> and then the podcast. So we might talk about some damaged things, but it's, uh, you're laughing through the rough parts, you know, which is yeah, like- I love that. Um, I, so you had a live, your, when you were on the radio, it was live like this. Yep. Yep. And then they replay the episodes later and stuff like that. Right. So what I think a lot of people don't understand the difference between the podcast and the radio show is that this is like adrenaline. This is yeah. live. You get much hyper on the show and because and, yes. it's live and I love that we would take callers, we'd have interviews with guests and I'm really good at off the top of my head, you know, I yeah. public speak at funerals and weddings and what have you. Uh, I don't really write shit. And I know I don't, might not talk to you in the same manner as this. I can adjust it depending on the setting. But on the radio, it made it, those are skills that were naturally in my favor. So I loved it. I miss it. Right. I, I mean, I love doing this and I love the live. I try to do as many live shows as possible um, just because it's more fun to me. I like I like the adrenaline rush. Um, so let's get into the book, The Waiting Room. Let's start with how you talk about ego relationships well, how did you start this book? Why um, and how? I the first book came over like five, like a four four year period of writing, and I you know I I thought I wanted to write more, but I didn't really know what the underlying theme would be in this new book. Like the first one was re redemption, second chance with a woman I love, heartache. What's going to be the underlying theme in this one? I started penning some chapters, but no real direction, and then. Um, my father, who I had an interesting relationship with, got sick uh, with like stage four pancreatic cancer. I, I was, you know, it was um, out of nowhere. He's a pretty, was a pretty big, strong guy, like my size, healthy. Uh, and he, I went to, I dropped everything to go help him, basically. I, I was, I had a talk show offer at the time. I, I, I dropped a lot and he lived in Mexico and I went to go help him. And you guys uh, weren't close. We were, yes and no. I mean, we were, we didn't spend a lot of time together and that okay. was probably what kept us close. We were close in some facets, but when I was young, we were not close. Okay. I didn't much, I was, to be frank, I was really scared of the dude when I was little. I didn't really like wow. him. I liked being around my mother and he wasn't like a bad guy, but he was intense, you know, okay. he's a fuck, but he was, a, he had really good qualities to him too. I don't, I'm not bad mouthing the man at all. Um, I think now more his better qualities shine bright, but it, I always loved him and I knew he loved me even though if we didn't, express it the right way or say it but there was a lot of he if, if you ever wanted to see me humble and quiet be around that man we're both Aries he casts a big shadow he's kind of got some legendary um mystique about him 
And so around him, I was never my full. And it was just whatever. I didn't, it wasn't pleasurable. But anyway, he got sick and he, he asked me to come, you know, help him take care of him. And I did. And there's a lot of reasons why. Well, I, I got, this is during right when COVID hit uh, with my girl. And I was, I was with him the day he got diagnosed. He found out he got diagnosed. He came back to the house. I was like, yo. Wait, quick question. Yeah. The girl that you were talking about in quicksand, is this your girl that you're, you're referring to? Got it. Yeah, you got you it. You got her back? Yeah, I did. I did. Oh, yay. Congratulations. Yeah. Yay. Okay. Some happy endings. Even though the books don't feel like happy endings. But, um, and so anyway, I was down there. We were just getting out of LA from like, we, you know, in the cut beach town in Mexico, just sounded like a better place to be with this mm. thing coming and lock, lockdowns or whatever. I didn't want to be in the city. Right. So my father said, yeah, come on down. And I get down there. And then the next day he comes back from the doctor and he's can't sick. And so we stayed in, in, to help him. You know, I, you know, my girl stayed, thankfully, she what a fucking trooper she was. And it was a, lot, a few reasons. One of them was he needed the help. No family and friends was going to come down from the States. Him and his girl at the time were kind of already splitting up. He just gotten out of jail a couple of years ago. He, he had a rough go of it. He just got divorced from his third wife a few years before. And he needed the help. And regardless of where our status of a relationship was, I wasn't going to leave the man high and dry, but a big drive for me was my ego that I thought had been destroyed into millions of pieces from many, many ayahuasca ceremonies, which I discussed in my first book, but there was still this part of me that, you know, my father is a tough guy and as tough as I am, uh, I, I'll never be tough like that dude, especially to his own look. So he was, you know, always looking down on me, like, not looking down, but maybe you, you're not, you can't do this. You're not strong enough. You're not smart enough. You, you're not going to be capable of this. So there was this drive in me, this ego drive where I was going to do it. I was going to do for him what he didn't do for his own father. They didn't have a very great relationship. And I was going to be close to him and help him. And I was like, and I'm doing what no one else is capable or willing to do. And, and that's like, it's like, I'll show you, which is kind of a selfish reason to do it, but nonetheless a reason. Right. But also, like I said, initially, I knew he needed the help. And as fucked up as anything might have ever been, I was never not going to help this man. And my aunt, one of his sisters told me, she's like, look, you should you should do it. Mm-hmm. You know, you're going to be mad. You're going to be screaming crazy shit at each other. You're going to hate every minute of it, but you will have no regrets when it's over. And when he died, he died like I was holding him at like midnight. When wow. Me and him yeah. alone in the house. Um, it was you know, from that moment on, I don't have any regrets. She was right. And as miserable as it got, which it got fucking miserable, but it was also hilarious and fun. And there were some touching moments. I'm very glad I did it. I'm happy so anyway, yeah, too. to answer your fucking question, sorry, long story short. No, no, uh, I wanted you I to share this a, with everybody. You know, adverse situations, sad moments, stress, they can cause big inspirational drives within you creatively. So now I had some shit to write about. So when I wasn't cleaning up vomit or shit or carrying a man to chemo or screaming at each other, right. I was fucking writing what was going on, but wow. still using my dark comedic lens, this Irish wake, you know, this, this humor. Yeah. Explain that to me. Like my mom, my mother, my last name is Fratchek because my father's Polish, but my mom's family is Irish and Irish people have a long history of being oppressed, rape, pillage, ran controlled even to this day by foreign nations. It's a dark history. They've been starved. There was a genocide that killed almost half the population. I mean, it, it's, it's got a, it's a dark history, but it's a, there's a beautiful, jovial, persistent people. And if you go to an Irish wake before the funeral, it's a very 
sad event. There's a lot of tears, but there's lots of jokes and fun stories are told, bigging the person up who passed, and then also still busting their balls, even if they're, if they're dead and laughing and crying. And it's a celebratory way to deal with the pain. And even in Irish uh, diaspora, there's, there's conflicting arguments. Of, is this actually hurting us that we use this humor as a survival tactic? Or some people will say, no, it's the only way we've made it so many years. And I always found that really beautiful. And it's just how my mom's family is. And, and I, I can't help it. So we'll be at funerals or things or awkward, sad situations. Or arguments will turn into laughter quick. And it's a survival tactic. And that's what gets me through things. So that's how I write. Yeah. So your writing is similar to that. Precisely. That's sorry. That was so long winded. Jesus. Talk about, I was talking no. that off. And then I- no, no, it's, it's fine because, you know, um, like I, I mentioned at the beginning, we were going to talk about that Irish humor, which I don't, I, I don't really know a lot about not because I'm Jewish, which doesn't mean that I don't know about Irish humor, but I've always talked about that dark, yeah. You know, people refer to it a lot. And uh, so for Jewish people, it's the guilt. You know, um, it's a, it's always the guilt. And, um, you know, I think that if we can find more humor and stuff, like, why not? Yeah. It's, it's hard. It saves, saves my life. I mean, on social media, I'm either promoting books or writing pieces or my podcast or I'm posting hilarious shit. I'm not really doing anything else there. And it's, I get a lot of people, you know, who message me like, oh man, I loved your book or your podcast was so funny or helpful. And there's some people who like just love the jokes and the memes, but it's not just, ha ha, you made me laugh. People will be like, yo, dude, I, I fucking had the worst day of work, but I lucky your page and I laugh. Yeah. Or some weird shit like that. And I know that might sound trivial in comparison to the artistic shit I do, but I, it means a lot to me because I'm using this humor for me selfishly first before anybody else, you know? Right. So you're going through all of this with your dad as a writer. You're like, I'm going to write all this stuff down just because that's just what you do. Yeah. Write it It, down. It'll help me deal with it. It helped you deal with it. Right. So what do you think by writing this and writing your other book, when you're writing it and you decide to make it a book, do you think about what are people going to take from this or are people going to enjoy this? Or do you just how do you feel about that? Because that, you know, I, I people, I, I got asked this in an interview recently, not the same thing, but something about what do I want people to take from my writing? And I told them, it was like, I don't want them to take anything. I want them to, to read it and take it as they do. You know, an artist, you have intentions maybe when you do some pieces. I really would love somebody to see this angle or this point I'm making, but everyone's going to take it differently. It's, it's subjective, it's up for interpretation. And, you know, some people, just laugh at some of my stories. They don't even get the serious part. And that's fine. That's fine. That's a big element to it. Some people maybe miss all the humor and they only see the sad parts. Right. But however you're taking it, if, if whether you're laughing at me or laughing with me, it's cool because I write for myself first and then I write for everybody else and I'm going to do it anyway. So I, you know, there's certain chapters I, I was like, I really hope people kind of get so this one, I maybe sprinkle a little social commentary and I'm like, you know, whatever, maybe a political comment in there, really just in my storytelling. And I would hope somebody would see it, but if they don't, they don't. And I mean, if someone like misinterpreted my shit on some crazy degree, like Son of Sam Killer was going around shooting dogs in the name of my book, I might take up an issue with it. But other than that, you know, people take what they want and really take what you need. You're going to take what you need. Your brain's in a certain place and you're reading my book. You might, you just lost your parent. You might connect with that. 
you might be, you know, dealing with the, I'm trying to get sober. I need to drink some ayahuasca. Or maybe I'm like looking to calm my ego down or whatever, or, you know, get a second wind in life. Wherever you're at in life, where your brain's at, your heart's at, you're going to look at my book and notice something different. I love that. I really love that. And you're so confident about saying it too, which I, yeah, I really, really like that. Is that sim- the way you wrote this book? Is it similar where it's a bunch of stories? Yep. Yeah. Okay. Short Same thing where you could pick it up here. anywhere, like yeah, in the middle. It all ties together, but yeah, you can pick it up anywhere. And I stick up, I stick poems in between every few you know, four chapters as uh, a way they break up the flow, mm-hmm. which I like, but it's still pertinent to it. It's not abstract from the rest of it. It allows me, they allow me to say some things that a whole long chapter wouldn't in a different manner. And so I like that. And I'm, I'm big into poetry. And I think when people hear the word poetry now, they like, you know, they, they even think of like slam poetry, which is- Well, it's, hip, it's hip hop, right? It's all that. It's- yeah, that's where I'm taking it from. I'm Whether it's Tupac or Charles Bukowski, you know, right. or James Joyce, like that, that's the kind of shit I'm-, I'm I'm, I like want to make poetry that is contemporary. That doesn't sound like some old Ansel Adams, you know, painting that you're interpreting. I want it to feel like now and, and speak to people and it can still be fun and poetic. It doesn't have to sound like some old Yee Carol from the 1800s. Right. You know? All right. So I didn't prepare you for this, but can you read anything from the book? Do you have the book handy? I can. Give me two, two seconds. I'm going to grab okay. it. Okay. All right. Sorry. I meant to ask you that before. No, not a problem. Okay, thank you. I figured you would have the book nearby. All right. I could I could read a, a poem or I could read the opening of a chapter if somebody wants to get sucked into something. Okay. Suck me into what you think is like... A good synopsis of the book? Yes, exactly, Jake. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> I, I, would, I have to do thank a lot you. of press for stuff, so you know, they <laughs> always you. want a synopsis. So um, I'll start. This is, um, this is the second chapter. It's called Say Goodnight to the Bad Guy. This is from the waiting room. Yes, yes. You can see it right here. Um, Happy endings are for Hollywood and massage parlors. Sometimes the cookie crumbles in fucked up ways. I slur out those words while stumbling around my friend Emilio's kitchen, hunting for some saltines to soak up the residue of last night's concoctions. That sounds like the opening line to a Jake the Snake chapter I hear from the living room. Emilio ain't lying when he spoke. He never lies. Neither does the world. It casually flashes harsh realities. Bare like strippers in the French Quarter who will lure you off the street with nothing but a thong and a smile. Now I'm back in Mexico. We are back in Mexico. How strange. This man has so much life, so much fight, such a lust for more. It's hard not to admire that about Stotch. Can I get you anything? No. More water? You want to smoke a joint? No, Jake, I'm fine. You want me to put a movie on or some TV? He answers back with a blank stare directed at the wall. Watching him lay on his bed bruises my spirit. With no background noise to distract me, I fixate on the saddest look on a face I've ever seen. It's like dried cement, not going anywhere. Stotch wants to live to the fullest of life, yet he's condemned to die. Many people in my life Family and friends alike duel with depression, suicidal thoughts, the occasional fantasies of wanting to shut it off. Shit, I wanted to shut it off. I tried twice. Desperately wanting to continue, he's been dealt other cards. Time evaporates. I sit here healthy on social media, posting memes with depressive undertones. An indescribable guilt follows me like my shadow, and the cookie crumbles as so. 
And there's more to the chapter, but that's just the first couple paragraphs. Wow. That's pretty powerful. It's very Thank powerful. Thank you. Um, your father's name was... Stotch. No, Stotch is uh, a Polish nickname for the Polish name Stanislaw or Stanley, which is not. I changed everybody's names in the book except for mine and my last name. Or I didn't change my first and last name. So that is not his real name. Uh, his real name was Joseph, but his nickname was Skip. So I gave him the name Stanislaw and his nickname is Stotch. Okay, because I reveal everyone else's real names because they're alive still. But my dad's name was Stanton. Oh, nice. And his nickname was Stosh. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. Whereabouts in Eastern Europe was he from? Do you know? Russia, Russia. Okay. Yeah. So I, I, he, my my grandparents were Polish, uh, but my great grandmother was Ukrainian, and I have Russian blood too. You know. Yeah. Lines blurred a lot back in the day. Yes, they really, really did get blurred. Yeah, my my grandfather was from Poland and okay. my father's parents were both little tiny Russian people. Oh, nice. My little. family was giant Polish people, like fucking tall and big. And really? Yeah. yeah, I can't tell. It's so funny when you're on Zoom, you can't yeah, tell how no, big. How If you had to guess, Jody, how tall do you think I am? Well, you said you were big. Okay. So I'm going to say that you're over six feet. I, I am six, two and a half, six, three on a good day. Uh, wow. Yeah. Wow. And most people think I'm five foot eight. I was going to say five, nine. I'm not even five, one. Really? Get the fuck out of here. Yeah. It's funny when people meet me in person, they're like, wait a minute. I thought you were tall. You must be one hell of a dance partner, though, that you people can just do twirls and all those. I mean, well, that's the whole thing. Yeah. It's, I, they move me around. Um so if somebody was interested, they're going through something, right? Something similar to what you do, anything, anything yeah. in life, and they want to write about it. What, like, what advice would you give them? Um, this is something I do myself. And I, I, I think it's a healthy when you know, sometimes when you're doing something creative, you're like trying to make it so perfect initially just get it on the fucking page just type the thoughts out that's what i do if i don't have my computer in front of me I, if i don't have a moleskin in my pocket i whip my phone out and i'll start writing the notes and it doesn't have to be clear and concise it's just the thoughts the ideas whether it's a poetic sentence or the sentiment the feelings i just need to get out of my head so the voices quiet down i get it down first then you come back and revisit it then if you're you know if you're trying to write it for more than just yourself then you can clean it up formulate it? Am I using the same word twice in two sentences? How do I just trim it down and, and neaten it up? But get it down, get it out of your head. Because when it's out of your head and, and you can read it, look at it physically, I think that's when you can start to process it. You can heal a little bit from it. And then you've got the, the writing down. And that's the ne that first step. And the next step is fixing it up. You know, starting to get the fucking first couple of lines, that can be the hardest part. Yeah. You make it sound so simple because you're so confident about what you're doing. Yeah. And I, I mean, I see so many people writing books all the time. And I wonder how do they do that? How do they get all these words down on a page? And why do you think somebody will be interested in what you have to say? I think it's easy to get words on a page. I think it's harder to get good words on a page or less bad words. Uh, there is so many prolific authors and some are really good. And some of them, I, you know, I'm like, yeah, you write a lot of books. Fuck, these things are terrible. I could sit, it's like there was, it's just you sat and wrote. Like I, I could write, but I, do you want to make it good? Like I'm hypercritical of myself. So everything I'm doing, I'm taking out whatever, anything I don't think is good, whether it's I'm cutting the chapters down in the book or the, the sentences, 
in the paragraph or the words in the sentence. I'm, I'm trying to take out everything I don't think is necessary, is repetitive, isn't good. And I just don't want it to start and end. I want it to flow in a certain way. I want it to grab you. Like when I listen to music and albums, the, the outline of an album and the track listing order has always been such a beautifully interesting aspect to me. And when you watch a movie, I want my book to flow like that too, or, or a, a chapter two. And I think, you know, you know, you got to just get it down. And then maybe I come back and I find the perfect opening sentence. Maybe after I see this whole story I've written, I'm like, okay, this is how I got to start it. Or sometimes I've got the opening sentence and I, where do I go from there? What is this line? This is like an, uh, kind of a, an arbitrary line, but it's so poetically beautiful. Oh, it makes me think of this story in my head. Now I got to right. write the rest of it. I'm like, I'm using like puzzle pieces basically. Well, you know? I, I can't wait to read your books. Thank you. Especially this one, because we talked, you know, you lost your dad. I lost my mom in December. Um, and so it's, and I'm sorry for your loss too. Um, I'm sure your dad is smiling right now. Um, to find your books, where can somebody find your books? Um, you can go on Amazon, Barnes and Noble. There's Kindle editions. Uh, it's online, some other smaller retailers, Walmarts, select stores, depending on what city. If you're in a major city, yeah. If you're in a smaller town or city, probably not. But if you follow me on social media at Jake Frazek, that's at J-A-K-E-F-R-A-C-Z-E-K or at Damage Goods Podcast, the link's in my bio. But you go to Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Kindle. The audio book for The Waiting Room is coming now soon. The audio book for Quicksand's out now too if you go to get that. You can hear me read. It's read by me, not some fucking- I love it. I love it. I love it because you've got a great voice. Thank you. Before we leave, we have two minutes. So you got two minutes to answer this question. What does it mean? Because you are so authentic. You are so fearless. What does it mean for you to like live a fearlessly authentic life? Um, it means being authentic to myself and what I want and what I need, where my heart's at. Not doing anything that's, you know, there's a quick buck in it or, or maybe there's a little light that gets shine on you or people are asking you to do it and it just doesn't feel right, I'm not doing it. I want to sleep. When my head hits the pillow, when I look in the mirror, I want to be happy and proud of everything. And you're going to have some regrets, but artistically, I want to make the right choices. And I'm just going to always be myself for better or worse. I'm not going to shove it down everyone's throat, but I'm not going to make apologies for uh, the who I am. Maybe what I do, I could be wrong for, but who I am, I want to be proud of that. And that's being fierce, authentic. I love that. Thank you. Jake Frajek. Yeah. Jake Thank the Snake, yes. thank you so much for being on the show. Go and check out The Waiting Room. Quicksand came out before that. I can't wait to read these books. You've you have been a, so much fun to have on the show. Thank you so much for making the time. Anytime, thank you. And thank you. thank you everybody for tuning in today to Fearlessly Authentic. Until next week, go live a fearlessly authentic life. Bye. Thank you for tuning in this week to Fearlessly Authentic. Please listen again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time for another edition with your host, Jody Harrison Bauer, on the Voice America Empowerment Channel and unlock the keys to a more powerful you.